old pilot's plain tales, the Deutschendorfs. We recently mourned the loss of the very first pilot to achieve supersonic flight, General Chuck Yeager, who took the Bell X-1 into the then unknown region beyond the sound barrier. Whilst his feat of skill and bravery was a remarkable milestone, it was very soon left behind as the aerospace industry was forging ahead at a quite incredible pace. The end of the Second World War was only two years old when the victorious Allies began to vie with each other for dominance on the world stage. On one side was the Soviet Union with their allies in the Eastern Bloc, and on the other was the United States with its friends within the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO. This Cold War, named so as the superpowers only fought in proxy wars, supporting opposing sides in regional conflicts like the Korean and Vietnamese wars, started in 1947 and brought about an arms race like no other. Enormous efforts were being made on both sides to take advantage of the threat inherent in the new generation of weapons, the thermonuclear bomb. Vastly more powerful than earlier pure fission weapons that were used to destroy Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the number and power of this second-generation version available to the antagonists were enough to guarantee destruction on a global scale. This led to the adoption of the MAD doctrine, Mutually Assured Destruction a strategy of deterrence that, in the event of nuclear war, would assure the complete annihilation of both the aggressor and the defender by first and second strikes. In order to present a credible threat, both sides were forced into an arms race so that neither could launch an attack and then survive the retaliation. The first intercontinental ballistic missile wouldn't become operational in the United States until the Atlas missile came into service at the end of 1959, a few months behind the Soviet R-7 version. Up until that point, both countries depended entirely on airborne delivery of nuclear weapons from a variety of aircraft which were becoming ever more capable. In 1956, the latest and most impressive by far was the Convair B-58 Hustler. Convair had beaten off considerable competition to have its bid for GBO-2, the Generalized Bomber Study issued by the Air Research and Development Command at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, accepted. Boeing, Curtis, Douglas, Martin and North American Aviation had all made submissions that were considered straightforward, unambitious and expensive. Convair, on the other hand, had proposed a radical four-engined, delta-winged, supersonic aircraft capable of stratospheric flight. It was to be the United States Air Force's first true supersonic bomber, and only two years after man had broken the sound barrier. 
there was considerable scepticism in command that the propulsion systems and material science required for this ambitious aircraft weren't advanced enough, but Convey was given the go-ahead, and in 1952 they were chosen to meet the new SAB-51, supersonic aircraft bomber standards. The aircraft was designated the B-58, and initially the task was to build two prototypes, 11 pre-production aircraft and 31 mission pods, including a free-fall bomb pod, a rocket-propelled controllable bomb pod, a reconnaissance and an electronic reconnaissance pod. The design had altered slightly from the initial proposal, which had been a three-engined version, as the B-58 now had four pylon-mounted after-burning GEJ-79s, which hung beneath the 60-degree-swept large delta wing. To protect vital components against the heat generated at high speed, as well as the crew compartment, the wheel wells and electronics bay were pressurised and air-conditioned. The design was also the first to make extensive use of aluminium honeycomb panels, which bonded outer and inner skins of aluminium and stainless steel to a honeycomb of metal or fibreglass. In addition, other features made the aircraft groundbreaking, such as the advanced wing design that was extremely thin to aid supersonic flight, and the structure was very light, making up only 14% of the aircraft's gross weight. The engine inlets were also revolutionary, featuring moving conical spikes which travelled forwards at high speeds, minimising the annular gap and increasing the engine efficiency. With a view to surviving high-level and high supersonic ejections, the three crew members were also given a novel escape system which could enclose the occupant in a protective clamshell, allowing them to survive ejection. The system would enclose the pilot along with his control column and a separate oxygen system that would allow him to stay in control and protected from the elements should the aircraft be damaged. He would also be ready for an immediate ejection. This system was tested using live animals, the story of which is in my earlier tale, Who Killed Yogi Bear? The crew sat in individual cockpits, laid out in tandem, and they were very advanced for their time. The controls were electronic and the dashboards wrapped around the occupant, with audio warnings piped into their helmets. They even had the very first example of voice warnings, known by F-18 pilots around the world as Bitching Betty, the Hustler crews had the more glamorous voice of actress and singer Joan Elms, who they dubbed Sexy Sally. She recorded 20 voice clips that were played from tapes on board the Hustler's warning system, telling them of failures, engine ice and weapons release, etc., the weapon systems were also very advanced. The navigation equipment was based around a Sperry inertial reference system which was tied in to an automatic Astro Star Tracker and a Doppler radar for ground speed and wind data. A search radar provided bomb release data and the combined arrangement was considered to be ten times more accurate than anything that had gone before. 
For defence, the Hustler had a remotely controlled, automated, radar-laid 20mm rotary cannon mounted in the tail and fired by the defensive systems operator. Offensively, the Navigator and Bombardier had a single nuclear weapon held in a large, streamlined pod slung on the belly, which also doubled as an external fuel tank. In later versions, the fuel section could be jettisoned independently of the weapon. The Hustler was not an easy aircraft to fly. Its highly swept wings were designed to accommodate a top speed of Mach 2, but this had the drawback of requiring a much higher angle of attack than normal at lower speeds. For takeoff, the pilot needed to accelerate to over 230 miles an hour at combat weights, and then rotate the aircraft to 14 degrees of pitch just to get airborne. Landing speeds were equally high, and specially designed landing gear with tyres at very high pressure and capable of extremely high rotation speeds were required. An angle of attack beyond 17 degrees would result in a pitch-up, which could easily develop into a spin, and should this happen below 15,000 feet, then recovery was very unlikely. Its stall characteristics were also dangerous, as in a stall it remained nose-high, and unless large amounts of power were applied, a rapid rate of descent ensued. Fuel stacking was also a problem, where movement of fuel within the tanks would occur during acceleration or deceleration that could cause a sudden change in the aircraft's centre of gravity, causing an abrupt pitch-up or roll and lead to loss of control. Early in the aircraft's life, 26 airframes would be lost to accidents. Despite its drawbacks, the Hustler was a formidable bomber, and it set numerous world records. It rattled windows around America, in a country that was a lot more forgiving in those days, as it set coast-to-coast records, and it flew the longest supersonic flight in history when Major Sidney Kubech flew from Tokyo to London in 8 hours, 35 minutes and 20.4 seconds. His aircraft, named Greased Lightning, needed to refuel in flight five times, but the record he set that day still stands. On a single day in early 1961, this remarkable aircraft set six international speed and payload records on a single flight, breaking five records previously held by the Soviet Union. On this day, one crew flew their B-58 over a 2,000-kilometre course, about 1,200 miles, carrying a two-ton payload at the world record speed of over 1,060 miles per hour, roughly twice the speed of the previous record holder, the Soviet Tu-104 Camel. The same crew went on to fly their aircraft, named Untouchable, to beat records for a one-ton payload and for a clean aircraft as well. For this feat, the pilot, Major Henry John Deutschendorf Sr., along with his bombardier and defence systems operator, would be awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross. Before I talk more about Major Deutschendorf, I want to emphasise what a step-up in technology the Hustler represented. 
from Chuck Yeager's initial achievement in 1947, by 1949, Convair had submitted its initial bid, which would be accepted in 1952 and achieve its first flight in 1956. So much had to be learned in that time. The aerodynamics of supersonic flight, the construction materials that would be required, the engines that could power it, were only part of the technological challenges that would be faced. It was truly a remarkable effort. The pilots that were chosen to fly this tricky Mach 2 70,000-foot capable aircraft that could climb at over 45,000 feet a minute were highly skilled, and Lieutenant Colonel Henry John, Dutch to his friends, Deutschendorf, was one of them. Henry John had completed three years of high school and was working as an assistant janitor when the Second World War was looming, and he made a very difficult decision for someone with a religious upbringing of a Mennonite. He joined the army. Not only was his decision a major break with the Mennonite tradition, but because he was an intelligent, fit and strong young man, his help on the family farm would be missed. His enlistment papers stated that he was a farmhand, but the military provided Dutch, who had excellent eyesight, intelligence and outstanding reflexes, the opportunity to learn to fly. He would spend most of the war as a flight instructor on B-17s and B-29s, but his active service earned him campaign medals for Europe, Africa and the Middle East, and he was awarded the Air Medal for Individual Heroism, an outstanding achievement. He served in Korea before he was given the opportunity to fly the remarkable B-58. After 26 years of service, he would retire, but then would sadly be taken from his family by a massive heart attack at only 61 years of age. During its service, the hustler would win the Blerio, Thompson, McKay, Bendix and Harmon trophies, but the aircraft that he flew to world record fame would also have a short and somewhat checkered life. For the 1961 Paris Air Show, a hustler made the first supersonic transatlantic crossing between New York and Paris in a mere 3 hours and 14 minutes at a speed of 1,753 miles per hour. Sadly, on the return home flight, the aircraft named Firefly would crash a mere five miles into their journey, killing all three crew members. Only four years later, again at the Paris Air Show, another hustler would crash when the aircraft landed short of the runway, striking the instrument approach aerials and bursting into flame, killing all on board. They had arrived late for the start of the show, with a lot of fuel remaining. As the flying display was about to begin, they were offered the option of diverting or making an immediate overweight landing. The commander chose the latter, with tragic consequences. Such misfortune was also reflected in the life of the B-58 pilot I chose to title this story. Not only did Dutch Deutschendorf pass away at an early age, but his family would suffer other tragedies. His son, Henry John Deutschendorf Jr., 
which many of you will know as the American songwriter, record producer, actor, activist, humanitarian, and wonderful country singer, John Denver, would also have his life cut short. John Denver's music has long been a favourite of mine, and his songs, in particular, Leaving on a Jet Plane and Back Home Again, have provided a soundtrack to my life. Like his father, John would also become a pilot and would work closely with NASA, becoming dedicated to America's work in space. He was killed flying one of Bert Rutan's experimental long, easy, light aircraft when his newly acquired machine's engine failed due to fuel starvation. The NTSB findings indicated that in his efforts to reach the fuel selector valve to resupply the engine, he had to twist hard in his seat, and in doing so, he inadvertently pressed the rudder pedals, yawing the aircraft into a spin. He was too low to recover. You may not have realised it, but along with the wonderful music of John Denver, there were more artistic Deutschendorfs, and tragically more sorrow would follow. Two of John Denver's nephews, William and Henry John Deutschendorf II, known as Will and Hank, performed in Ghostbusters 2 when they took turns playing the part of Baby Oscar. They would go on to form the West Coast Martial Arts Academy, but Hank would suffer from a combination of bipolar and schizophrenic disorders that caused him severe depression. He would grow up as a young man who was upbeat, healthy, witty, kind, outgoing, and was always ready to stand up for people. Sadly, the medication he took curbed the delusions but didn't stop the voices, and the side effects took a toll. He would eventually take his own life. The Hustler would serve until early 1970, when its role was taken over by the new FB-111A. Only 116 would be made, and over 22% of those airframes would be lost to accidents. It was an expensive aircraft to both build and operate. The B-58 program cost over $21 billion in today's money and the Hustler was three times as expensive to operate as the B-52 Stratofortress. However, in the annals of the steely-eyed rocket men that flew it, the Hustler would stand head and shoulders above others as one of the most remarkable aircraft the United States would ever build. If you enjoyed this story, it would be great if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Plain Tales is a featured segment of the wonderful Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find that at airlinepilotguy.com.